0: Hey everybody it's eric with smart pot fabric planners back with another episode of the growing revolution and today's guest is ben owens and we came across him via instagram he had been posting um a lot of cool uh really visually appealing content of you know cannabis flowers uh growing in smart pots so You know that obviously attracted our attention, and then we, you know, started following him and kind of learning a little bit more about him. He is, um, you know, I'd say he's a cannabis entrepreneur and a cannabis advocate, and we wanted to hear his story of how things are going out in Colorado. So, welcome to the show, Ben.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I really appreciate being here. It's uh, it's been fun getting to know you and you know, interacting over the course of the last few months on Instagram. And um, I've been a big advocate of smart pots since I started using them. So uh, always nice to be a part of it.
0: Appreciate that. Um, So you're currently based in Colorado, but you've lived in other places around the country uh, before that. Can you, you know, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, with cannabis, what it does for you and, you know, what life was like before moving to Colorado?
1: Absolutely. Um, So my name is Ben, obviously, and I'm a cannabis co-author. But I got my start as a copywriter and a journalist. Um, Originally, I'm from Arizona, and I moved kind of all over the country, but ended up at Mizzou in Missouri for college uh, in their J school. And from there, ended up you know going through the Chicago ad agency scene and finding my way to Colorado, working in the counterculture side of things, which. Introduced me to and gave me kind of a, a professional freedom to be much more open about my cannabis usage and its you know relation to my daily life, my professional pursuits, things like that. Um, and you know, fast forward to now, uh, you know, I'm I've written two books, we're on our third magazine, we've I've done a whole bunch of podcasts, and I've been you know actively posting on Instagram, like you know, but I didn't start growing until. I guess it's almost three years now, June of 19. So, you know, it, I was a decade-long consumer before I ever you know, planted a seed. So it's been a wild journey just even even in that last two, three years.
0: Nice. What what motivated you to start growing your own? So we
1: gave up Netflix for a week, uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, the, the traditional pattern of coming home and, you know, being exhausted and just turning everything on and, calling it a day and smoking and falling asleep, uh, you know, I, that routine was getting old. It was kind of, I needed a change up just, you know, a week off. And so we did different things every night, you know, board games, things like that, that we always have done, but just in a concentrated intentional fashion. One of which was we went to home Depot or Lowe's or one of those stores and grabbed a bunch of like basil and rosemary and all these kinds of plants with the, you know, like let's plant some plants and have house plants. Um, I still have an aloe plant and, um, a pothos from that night, actually. But the, I, I was such, I'm not a green thumb or so I said, you know, I was very much the, the person who forgot to water plants and they always ended up dying. And I also had a ton of seeds. You know, I'd need working in the industry. I knew a lot of people and occasionally I'd get kicked down a pack of seeds. So when I started growing and we started doing all this planting stuff, I was like, you know, I'll just plant a couple seeds and see what happens and, you know, it got about this tall and I started freaking out that the neighbors were going to notice it on the patio. And like, you know, I wasn't supposed to be growing in my apartment complex and it was going to be this whole big deal. And I kind of had that point where it was like, you know, it either gets killed or it comes inside and I buy a tent. And that's, that was kind of the the short version. You know, I I got a two by two and started growing in my, in my uh, closet. But, um, uh, you know, its a habit that has grown way beyond that now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody who's a cannabis consumer, if they have the opportunity, should try growing it. Uh, if nothing Absolutely. else, to just have an appreciation for how difficult it is. Um, you know, some people say, like, oh, growing cannabis is, is easy. And yes i agree it is if you know what you're doing uh but if you don't know what you're doing it's a very you know touchy and finicky plant, and um you know mastering it i would say you know is not easy it takes time and some research so kudos to you for you know trying it out and, and uh you know i haven't seen it personally but just from pictures it looks like you're doing a great job
1: yeah, I mean it's, you know, it's grown gradually. I'm still intense, you know, we're limited by plant count here in Colorado. So, you know, try to keep things legal as, as much as we can, keep the cloners running all the time so that we don't have plants that are technically plants. Um, but, you know, the the goal has always been just to nuance a little bit better every time. You know, the, the first grow, my goal was literally to keep the plant alive from seed to harvest, and that was it. Um, I encountered problems, as most first-time growers do. And, you know, was it my best crop? No, never. most people's first time never is. But over the course of the years, I've also been lucky to have the advice and feedback of a lot of older growers, people who've been doing this for 5, 10, 20 years. And that was a big resource, too, because I was friends with some of these people way before I started growing. Strictly as a consumer, I knew them either because, you know, I'd had their harvest or I just knew them through... My events or things like that, and really getting an appreciation, like you said. You know, I'm a big cannabis connoisseur. I'm a big hash smoker. Um, You know, I smoke a lot of concentrates, especially now that I've tried to cut backwards out. Um, That has led to you know me trying to figure out the best way to produce that kind of quality for myself and. Doing all the things internally has been, it's been an incredible learning process, but it really shows you, you know, like if you go to the store, you go to the dispensary, you buy a gram of hash. Like if you're buying top shelf, high end products, you really do start to appreciate why they carry these higher price points and what is involved. You know, there's a lot of average weed on the market, both as flour and as concentrates. And, you know, really seeing what goes into like that eighth of weed that you're throwing into a joint you know, or that ounce of weed that you smoked at the party. Like, there's there's a lot of time that went into that. I just harvested again on my two-by-two. Two. I'm probably going to get an ounce, ounce and a half from that plant. It's not, you know, it, it, has, it hasn't slowed my consumption necessarily, but it gives you an appreciation for what goes into, you know, the rate at which you consume.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say since I've been growing my own, uh, if anything, my consumption's probably gone up. But uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess when you're growing your own, you can kind of dictate, you know, how much you want to consume, and you're not, you know, tied to dispensary prices. Uh, well, and up until is, this year, it is cool you know, to I, visit them on occasion.
1: It is no, without question, and up until this year, you know, I wasn't growing enough to be self-sufficient. Like I was in an apartment, I was growing in a very small manner, trying to keep it low key. Um, but still trying to learn, you know, so I was still, I would harvest and I'd have a couple ounces of great bud, but then I'd still be buying dispensary weed for two, three months until my next harvest. So this year, you know, I would say in the last six months, seven months or so, I've really gotten to a point where, you know, it, I was told I would get at some point.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hit, hitting that, hitting that self-sufficiency point is, uh, you know, it's a big accomplishment. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I was kind of looking through your, your bio, and you started uh, the Canaventure uh, organization a while back, and that just sounds like a really cool concept. Um, how did that start out, and how did that get rolling for you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, We've been this will be our seventh season throwing Canaventure events, and largely that started as a way for me to meet other people. Um, I worked remotely, you know, I worked for a detox company. I was working for my buddy's startup in Illinois, but I was based here in Denver and I just wanted to meet other people in the same way you'd meet coworkers or social outings that, you know, at, a, at an actual nine to five physical location. So I figured if it's Colorado, there's legal weed, there's tons of places to go explore. There's gotta be a group already doing this. Like I can't be the first person to have thought to go hike and smoke a joint, you know, um, but there wasn't. And I didn't understand why, and I was determined to do it. And after the first year, I was very clear why. And that is because it's very hard to legally host consumption events in public places. Um, basically, New York is the only place that even sort of quasi kind of lets you do it. But that's, you know, depends on who you're running into. So. Right. With that said, you know, we had to kind of reevaluate and start doing these camp outs, things that were where we could rent private property as opposed to relying solely on public lands, forests, things like that.
0: Nice. Yeah, yeah. Having, uh, having more freedom to kind of do what you want at, at these events uh, is crucial, you know, um, to, to getting people to show up and, and have a good time. And, you know, well and I've always counsel. been that guy
1: that's like, if it, if there's not actually weed there, like it's not a weed event, you know, like if I, it's, it's at a bar or whatever, like if it's a weed event, it's a weed event and there's weed there. And that, and as a consumer, that was a very easy position to take as a business owner and as an event host, it was a much harder position to take because there was, I, you know, there's a lot more legwork and similarly with growing, you know, like every little incremental step teaches you kind of why some of these beliefs that we may hold, you know, as we learn more may prove to be inaccurate or may prove to be, you know, less than what we hoped.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so your, your hikes um, kind of morphed into, you know, the campouts, and then I saw you guys are doing like disc and dabs, uh, disc golf tournaments. Um, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's what's going on there?
1: Absolutely. So once we started renting private property, we started throwing two different series of events. One was our summer camps, which was a partnership with Denver Normal. Um, That was a great event. You know, we did three years of it. COVID kind of squashed that and we've been trying to bring it back, but you know, everything in due time and dis and dabs, we have been lucky enough to actually, we expanded to Michigan last year, even in the middle of the pandemic but it's a disc golf tournament that really started as an activity during the camp out. We wanted a cannabis friendly camp out that there was some sort of activity and it really wasn't intended to be as it has developed, meaning, you know, it has become a very big thing in the disc golf community, which I'm very appreciative of love the disc golf community, love the people who attend these events. Um, But I personally was more on the Venn diagram side of the cannabis community than the disc golf side. Like I played disc golf, but it was an excuse to go outside and smoke bowls. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't actively trying to get better and it was just fun. And we've really had a lot of people who are really good at disc golf come out to these events and really kind of put that stereotype down of, you know, the lazy stoner disc golf character, And really show that there's a lot of athleticism. There's a lot of professional people who actively consume cannabis and are active, really good disc golfers.
0: Yeah, I I think disc golfing and cannabis are kind of hand in hand. And um, are there any thoughts to expanding to like other sports outside of disc golf, like traditional golf or anything else?
1: So we've talked about.
0: You know, expanding
1: to other sports, I really enjoy the disc golf scene and I enjoy the, the overlap that it is shared with cannabis. Um, it's also a lot lower of an entry point from a physical cost. You know, to get a couple discs and go hang out for the weekend is a lot less of an entry point than to go, you know, get a set of clubs or something sure. along those lines. Um, with that said, you know, we have done backpacking trips and we have looked into – the other thing that people don't understand sometimes is that there are things that you can do legally with alcohol that don't make sense on paper, but you cannot do those same things when you're smoking. Like a, a bike ride, for example, people always want us to do like a, a biking camping kind of. We used to do them on the East Coast a lot. You know, you'd go bike up the Appalachian Trail 10 miles, set up camp, then bike back down. And it's a lot of fun. But if you're actively consuming, there's the potential that if a ranger stops, you're no longer just going to get a consumption ticket. You're going to also get a DUI. So, you know, we try to minimize any, like, is it going to happen for every occasion? No, but we try to minimize any potential of risk. So, you know, things that are high risk activities like whitewater rafting and those kinds of activities that are a lot of fun, unfortunately, we don't have the bounds to play in. So it's a, it's a navigating balance, but summer camp has been a great way to attract the non-disc golf scene. You know, and I think if possible, we'd love to bring summer camp to other states. I've tried to bring Diss and Dabs to other states. We've gotten it to do Michigan, as I said, and then we were working on Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, every market is slightly different. We've had some issues with, you know, townships not being super friendly to the idea of a mandatory consumption tournament coming to their little town of the woods. But, um, you know, we power through it. The, the thing that I will say is that It's been a long road because what we've tried to do is do everything by the book legally and still satisfy some of those wants from the traditional scene, the traditional market, the ability to consume, you know, the ability to share with one another, things like that. And so we honor what Colorado's laws are. But at the same time, you know, we're trying to create the best experience in a legal manner so that when the cops do show up, which they have absolutely shown up to our events. We can walk them around, we can show them the paperwork, we can talk to them and say, you know, hey, you can walk around and talk to anybody here and you're not going to find a problem that gives you a reason to shut this down. And that's not a comfort that, you know, we've always had, nor have we, do we have in any other, you know, every state right now.
0: Makes sense. Um, Yeah, if you're just, you know, walking in the woods, smoking a joint, that's one thing. But if you're organizing cannabis (laughs) events and you got, yeah, a bunch of people showing up, then there's you know, a <clears throat> whole lot of other issues between, you know, business liability and state issues. Yeah. So it sounds like you're doing a great job of uh, navigating the red tape.
1: It's a fine line, but we try to walk it like a tightrope.
0: Yeah, you, you have you have to. And that's part of the fun of it, right? Um, yeah, so you mentioned that you, uh, you had authored some books uh, as well. Can you tell us about uh, what you've written about?
1: Absolutely. So I wrote the first book I wrote was Stoner Survival, and it's a kind of a quick reference survival guide for the cannabis consumer. Um, In throwing these hikes and campouts, I quickly realized that my background as a Boy Scout, my background camping frequently with my family and going on hikes and things like that was not necessarily as common, even though it was a state where there was this huge abundance of nature and trails and things. So When we started doing the campouts, we, or the summer camp, we tried to create like curriculums, you know, where that were kind of like the accepted movie where they all kind of write what they want to learn on the board. But the idea being, you know, wherever the overlap was with cannabis, try to provide that. So, you know, cannabis meditation, cannabis fitness, cannabis yoga, things like that, alternative health. And one of which was this term, you know, this class stoner survival, which my goal was, you know, knots, fire, hiking etiquette, those kinds of basics for the outdoors. And we kind of put together this pamphlet that was just me, you know, finding other things throughout the internet and putting them into a big stapled pad for me to just talk about and took that outlist outline of topics and really turned it into a book that wasn't necessarily meant as any sort of profit driver, but was absolutely meant as a... a, a default tool that I could point to as a, as a hiking leader that said, you know, if you want to carry something in your pack, that's not super heavy. It's, I think it's under a hundred pages. It might be like 101, you know, it's, um, I actually have the book right here, but, um, yeah, that was the idea, you know, it was just quick and easy. It's not in depth. It's not going to save your life. You know, there's definitely more to it and it doesn't teach you how to smoke either. Like there are some things in there about rolling Canada guards and things like that, but the assumption going into the book is you already know how to get high. Like there, This isn't the book that's like, hey, this is Weed 101. Like it's, it's just specifically targeted for that niche. Um, and second book I wrote was a mushroom cookbook, which I started developing before COVID, was doing mushroom dinners, and then COVID happened, kind of had to stop doing that. Still was able to finish with the recipes that we had tested at the dinners and get the book out. But, uh, you know, hoping to kind of revamp that as well now that Denver has decriminalized. It's made it a lot more accessible to a lot of people, especially so with are COVID So are those
0: medicinal mushrooms then? Uh, in your yeah, so book? those are
1: magic mushrooms. Yeah, so um, Denver decriminalized, which was a, a pretty cool thing. And everyone I know that was growing cannabis started growing mushrooms. And so I have not tried, nor do I, but um, it's it's fascinating and, you know, The ability to eat mushrooms in a format other than, you know, choking down a bag of dry mushrooms with a beer kind of mentality that college taught us is is a very different experience now. So, you know, we would do a four-course meal. There'd be ceviche. You'd finish with a dessert. You know, it would be a very different experience than most people are accustomed to when they eat mushrooms. Um, But it's been a fun – it was a fun learning experience. It's definitely – like cannabis is definitely 99% of what I do. But it was a fun thing to dabble in. And nice. you know, since then, I've had a newsletter that I've written. I'm doing this magazine, you know, really trying to stay stay current with the publication of as much information as we can.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I subscribe to your newsletter. There's a lot of good uh, content in there. Now, what what are you doing, um, magazine wise?
1: So Ethos Genetics is a client of mine, and I co-author with Colin, who I'm sure some of your audience will know. Um, mm-hmm. Colin, I had the privilege of doing a profile for, for the hemp connoisseur back when the hemp connoisseur was doing print publications pre COVID. And through that interview process and that profile, got to know him, got to know his team, ended up doing a profile on the CEO, O'Reilly. She's an incredible person. And once that kind of ran its course as contracts, Colin really wanted to get into the publishing side of things and start putting pen to paper, so to speak. And that evolved into a magazine. So we, you know, originally we were just publishing for the web and we published the first issue kind of as an idea for an annual issue. Um, Nothing, you know, it was a, a first foray into a magazine and we have done now volume two came out and volume three is actually at the printer as of this week. So we are excited. It'll go out in April to his fan club and then be available for sale a month later. So. Um, but nice. it's very, you know, we've got Peachy I don't know if you know who that is. It's Wiz Khalifa's mom. She's a huge cannabis advocate, drug war reform advocate, um, just genuinely nice person. We've got, you know, a variety of different people who their stories aren't necessarily stories that you've heard. Um, Lovin' in her eyes is another great example. You know, everybody on the Internet, especially if you're on Instagram and you're a grower, you've probably heard of Lovin'. You know, we got I got to sit down and talk with Love and her team, and that's not an opportunity that everyone gets. And so it's something I'm very grateful for and has also given me a chance to learn as a grower, you know, what these people are doing and what their you know setups look like or what their tactics are. Or some of those aside comments that don't end up in the article, but definitely end up helping out in the growth.
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, um, you know, media, you know, interviewing people and then what we're doing with, uh, the growing revolution podcast is just really been a, a personal blessing to me, like, you know, getting to talk to people and, you know, expand my own knowledge base on, you know, plant science and, and, you know, cannabis, but also traditional, you know, fruits, vegetables, and herbs, um it's, it's just been a beyond a blessing. So, you know, talking to people like yourself, um, this is the highlight of my day uh, to be quite honest.
1: Absolutely. No, I love Um, it. I mean, I love having these conversations.
0: Yeah. What, uh, so what are you, uh, like, you know, besides the magazine, you know, do you have your eye on anything, you know, for expanding can adventures or, you know, what are you looking at going forward, uh, for yourself?
1: So, you know, this year we have our season opener for the seventh annual uh, season of CanAVenture. That's the Saturday after 420. Usually we go before 420, but this year it's Easter, and why force the overlap? Everybody can kind of, you know, have their fun celebrations and then come out the next weekend. Then we've got – Excuse me. Distant Dabs Labor Day weekend that uh, is, is selling quickly. Our VIP sold out. We still have some camping available with VIP+. Plus. But also have some GA tickets that are you know great if you don't want to camp on site you want to camp nearby or to stay at a hotel, and also you know I have a third books in third book in the works. Uh, it's been largely tabled because I've been you know fairly busy with all these other publications, but that the goal is to get that book out as well, um, sometime in the near future and you know, we're hosting monthly events. We do either a hike or a camp out every month. And so, you know, I'm gauging interest on in doing another backpacking trip. I really enjoy doing backpacking trips. They're not for everyone. Um, I learned that the first time we tried to throw it, you know, we usually get 20, 30 people on a hike. We got four people that came backpacking. It was, it's not, it's just not for everybody. And some people don't have the gear for it either. And so trying to do that, but yeah, I would say, you know, I'm traveling, I'm going to Canacon at the end of this month in Oklahoma City. I'm going to LA right after that. I'm hitting Arizona. We're doing the hike. Then I go to Vegas. So, you know, I'm doing a lot of travel, trying to get out there and cover new markets, you know, especially emerging markets that either recently came online or are trying to transition from medical to rec.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Good. Always good to stay busy. Uh, yeah. So I have uh, kind of a, a last question that, um, you know, it might be a little personal. What are your thoughts on couples and cannabis in terms of compatibility, and how has that oh impacted your life, either positively or negatively?
1: So I don't know if you know the backstory to the question you just asked, but this is great. Okay, so I was in—I was married at one point to someone who absolutely hated weed. So I'm like a ten on the scale of weed; she so was like a negative ten, and <laughs> it was. It was like, it's, it's crazy to think about, uh, this was, you know, years ago and it was short lived, you know, it didn't last very long for obvious reasons, but it pushed me to do certain things that I wouldn't have done if I was in a relationship that was very, you know, cool with cannabis. So like, for example, Canaventure was me trying to meet other people because the social gatherings that I was going to as couples were largely people who weren't smoking or weren't smoking in those couples settings. So I was mm-hmm. trying to find something else and create that other thing. Now, it probably would have happened in some other manner, even if I'd been in a good relationship. But fast forward to now, you know, I've been in a steady, happy relationship where the person that I love and am dating smokes as much, if not more than I do. You know, we are regularly keeping up with one, either, one another and putting it, you know, to our limits. So that has been incredible because as I've grown, you know, both as a consumer, as an industry professional. You know, going to gatherings, going to things like that, events, big award shows, those kinds of things, but also as I grow as a grower, you know, and not having to make these concessions or wagers or whatever with someone who's not necessarily interested in the idea of having plants being grown in their house. Um, You know, having someone who's just as passionate about the plant, who's dedicated their life to the plant has made a huge difference in my ability to grow as a cannabis consumer, as a professional, as a grower. So I would absolutely say, you know, it's possible. I have really good friends and they do it. You know, they they I wouldn't say they're as far polar opposites as I was in my past life, but they definitely, you know, one of them doesn't smoke at all or one of them will hit a bowl every, you know, New Year's Eve kind of thing. And then the other person is definitely the heavy consumer and they make it work. Um, I would say if you are very passionate about cannabis If cannabis is your entire life. That's, it's much harder to do than if, you know, you're just the weed guy in the office or, you know, the guy that everybody knows might have something on. him. Um, that's very different than if you, you know, you're, you're committed to the industry, you're actively putting your name out and saying, I'm affiliated with a substance that's not legal everywhere.
0: Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great anecdote. And, and, you know, I think, yeah, that makes total sense. If, I mean, is if the other partner at least has a tolerance for it, you know, if they don't partake, you know, that's one thing. If they can at least respect the other partner's choices. But if the other partner is diametrically opposed to cannabis and you enjoy cannabis, like, you're going to either have to, you know, make a concession or, you know, maybe that isn't the right relationship long term. So,
1: and you if know, you're I, gonna make I was, it work,
0: I was with you in that boat uh, many years ago, and you know, I, I I made the right choice. There there were other compatibility issues as well, but uh, <laughs> always are. <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's not she's just watching, one thing. Uh...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, so, I totally uh,
1: get what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the couple that you know partakes together, and the couple that grows together, is probably going to be the couple that stays together. So. Um, and in any Congratulations to finding a good you know,
1: Communication. Partner. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And, you know, communication, like whether you're going into that relationship or whether you're coming out as a cannabis consumer in that relationship, like not just saying like, hey, I smoke pot, but if there are objections or concerns or things, you know, having those open conversations, especially not stoned, it definitely helps, uh, you know, present your best face. If you, if cannabis helps you articulate it by all means, but as, you know, you and I talked even before this call, like it doesn't always, it's not always beneficial if you're trying to communicate and articulate what you're trying to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it Cannabis can be really beneficial in, you know, thinking outside the box, but then pulling those ideas back into your brain uh, isn't possible for everybody, I guess. Um, so I guess on that note, um, you know, this has been a really, uh, cool, interesting conversation for me. Um, how can people, you know, get in touch with you and, and follow you on, you know, online? So cannabinoid,
1: uh, with an E instead of an I, as in Ben, uh, that's my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, you know, most of the platforms that hadn't already been claimed cannabinoid.com, same spelling. That's my newsletter. I would love people who are interested, signed up. Sorry, that's my husky in the background. Um, I write every week and I have extra content that I try to provide for my premium subscribers. You know, whether it's grow related or cannabis related or industry related, that's definitely a great place to find me. Um, You can also just reach out directly, you know, ben at creativebenefits.org. Is a great way to, that's my direct email. So anybody who has a question, wants to chat, you know, I may not get to it immediately. I try to be pretty responsive, but, you know, that's the best way to get directly a hold of me.
0: Awesome. Well, um, Ben, it was really great to get to know you, at least online. Looking forward to meeting you in person, uh, hopefully sooner than later, uh, sharing a sesh with you. And um, thank you for joining us on The Growing Revolution.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and I look forward to talking to you soon.